Ever since I was a kid, I've been on the water. I grew up uh, in western Nebraska. My family had a cabin at Lake McConaughey, and I remember every summer being on the water. I love being on the water. I love rowing. I love being in the boat. My wife and I today have kayaks. And while we're not on the big lake, we, uh, we love going down the mighty Caw. It's just fun drifting, paddling, and just enjoying God's great creation. And I've learned something over all those years of being on the water. The toughest days are when the wind blows. You see, there's this problem when, when the wind blows when you're rowing. There's a problem is that the wind, the wind causes two things. It causes resistance, and it makes waves. The last two years have been some of the biggest challenges worldwide for the Christian church. It has been a long 24 months of rowing against the wind. About a year ago, I was with a pastor's group. <laughs> we called it the wine and cheese show. We weren't drinking wine. We were whining about how things have been so disrupted. And, and, uh, and one pastor who was leading it said, hey, it's just like this. It's like, it's like you're, you're going against, and all of a sudden you just hit a wave, and it's like crash, and you, you row against that wave, and, and you just get through it and get your oars settled, and then crash. Here comes another wave, and then another wave, and another wave. And he says, you just never fully catch your breath before the next wave hits. Another pastor said, he called, he goes, the church has been on CPR for the last two years. The C stands for COVID. Nobody was ready for a pandemic. And we started rowing against that. Next thing you know, they shut down everything. And a lot of people in the church were upset that we shut down church and we went online. And we weren't ready for that. We were rowing against it. That was like a wave. It was like, whoa, what all of a sudden happened? Why did everything shut down? And then, and then just so many weeks later, it was Father's Day weekend, June 16th, if I remember and it's like church is opening, and I couldn't believe how many people are upset. We, we can't open church. It's like it's too early. You know, like, bang, we hit another wave. We're like rolling through that one. It's like, I didn't expect that one. And, and as we're rolling through that and the whole world, jobs, employment, everything just kind of unsettled, all of a sudden now we get this other issue that pops up, P, CPR, politics. So we're going into the primaries and everybody's wound up about who's leading and what's on the agenda. Politics really rises like it never, and it ultimately ended in, in what we saw in the Capitol over the next six, seven months. And now we're rowing against that one. It's like, Brian, we need to speak about these things. We need to, there's like more waves and more waves. And we're just like, bang, we keep going through them. We keep going through them. Now we're starting to anticipate, well, what's the enemy going to do next? So like our ministry team's like going, what's the next wave? So we get ready for it. And we're already rowing for that. And we, we talked about the end times. We, and then what we didn't see was the R when race became an issue at the same time also. And what was amazing when race became an issue is that we saw a response in our nation which really made me joyful is that there was a lot of compassion about what's going on. There's millions of voices saying, I need an equal opportunity. There was a massive amount of compassion that came out of that. We're thinking, maybe this time, maybe this time. So we talked about social justice as we rode through that wave. And then just within a year, as all these ideas came about, how do we deal with the issues of race and equality? 
and ideas came out about how we do that, theories and stuff like that, all of a sudden, you watched our nation turn against the very things we were trying to do to fix it. How do we go from there to there? And there's just another wave. Two years, and, on, and roughly now, or maybe not so roughly now, it feels like we've got through it, but there's all this consequence of everything that happened. It just sits there and simmers, and we keep rolling through that. And I look back, and the one thing I notice as I look back over the two years is that we've grown so much. <laughs> that if we didn't go through all this, we wouldn't have grown. Our character has changed as a church. I've seen us deal with patience much better. Sitting in a house for a few weeks alone kind of changed that. Endurance, I see endurance as something that our church has a lot more value to. But the one thing I see the most and it changes in you and I in the church, is empathy. Because we were forced to sit down and have conversations that we weren't ready for. And we were forced to sit there and say, hold on a second, as we roll through this one, how do we look at what the other needs are? And we watched relationships strained come back together. And we worked through stuff. We're more seasoned than we've ever been in a while from what we've been through. But I always say before we grab an oar and pat ourselves on the back, the reason where we're at is because there was another in the water all the time. And I tell you what, I've grown as a pastor these last two years in ways I never imagined. And I'm very thankful for it. I want to welcome everybody here. Welcome to Westview Community Church. If you're our guest, we're super glad you're here. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. Lene talked about this worship guide when you walked in. We're going to share a story about, about rowing against the wind. All right, out of the Bible. And, and so there's an outline here on the back, and it kind of goes over what we're going to cover. It's kind of an outline of the whole sermon today. Uh, for those online, we're super glad you're with us too. All these things are pinned out there on Facebook Live or on our website, so um, just follow along with us as we go into this. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. It's right there at the front of the New Testament as you venture in there. And we'll jump there in just a minute. We are in an Easter sermon series. We're kind of approaching Easter in a sermon series. It's called Another and it's all about, it focuses on Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus, the, one of the last commandments he gave to his disciples who went out and planted this, the church, who started a worldwide movement, the last thing he told them is he, he was giving them that great commission, but the last thing he told them, he says, and be sure of this, verse 20, I'm with you always. And this whole series as we go to Easter is like, do we really believe that, that Jesus is with us always? And so week one, we talked about another in creation. We talked about how God created everything through Jesus. And we looked at the scriptures saying he's always been. He's always been there. He's our beginning and he's our ending. God made him first in everything. And so how do we make him first in everything? He's always been there. And last week, we went into another in the fire. And we, we, it was kind of fun. We showed you that, that Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. You can't miss him. He's in the Old Testament. We went to Daniel, the story of the fiery furnace where there was a fourth in the fire with him. And we talked about Jesus. If he's always been with us, then he's always there in the divine. And what was amazing about that story, there's another in the fire, that when we go through fires in life, he's always there. But he doesn't necessarily take us out of the fire. 
He refines us in it. And so here we are in another, another today. Before I jump into this and before we get into Matthew 14, there's a, and before I set up the, the story there, there's, there's a shout out I want to do. Uh, you hear, for those maybe newer to us, you hear about harvesters. Harvesters is a way uh, that we do food distribution here. It's the first Friday of every month. We take our turn as a church. Let me give you a view of what harvesters is like every, every first Friday. So if you ever want to join us, uh, it takes 30 volunteers on average, 30 to 40 volunteers to do harvesters. And what happens is they come here on that Friday morning, the first Friday, and the, the big semi comes and it drops 12, like 12 pallets of food. And at 6 a.m., if you're here ever early on Friday, 6 a.m., there's cars lining up. And we'll have 12 pallets of food, we'll have 30 volunteers, we'll have 100 cars lined up by 10 a.m., ready for food distribution. It's our way as a church of reaching into our community and sharing. And these volunteers, they interact with every car that's pulling up. It's just, it's just fun being Christ to everybody that's here. But, but Steve was helping me out. Look at all these numbers that it takes. On average, we feed 800 people on that day. And so how many here have actually been part of Harvesters before? I know it's on a Friday, Friday morning. Can we just give them a big thanks for, for us? They're, they're, we're the church together. And I want to talk about that. That's like 800. It takes us two to two and a half hours to take care of 800 people. Can you imagine what it's like to feed 5,000? And that's where we're at. That's the setting of Matthew 14 where we're going to start today. It's the setting. Is they just fed 5,000. And they did it with 12. And they did it with 12 baskets. And they did it with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus sat there and he multiplied it and they fed 5,000, but they really didn't feed 5,000 because they only count the men. They fed, the estimation is between 20 and 25,000 on that hill with 12 people and 12 baskets. And we see Jesus in a very special way in the story. And that just happened where we are in Matthew 14. That just, just happened. So the day is finishing they didn't plan. That was a spontaneous moment. Let's feed them. That wasn't on the agenda that day. And if it takes us two and a half hours to take care of 800 people, how, many people, how, how long do you think it takes 12 to take care of 20,000? So they're tired. It's been a long day. And let's start here with Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. It says, immediately after this, immediately after he feeding the 20-some thousand, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, that's how they got there, and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent all 20-some thousand home. And after Jesus sent them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves as they rode across the Sea of Galilee. So here after a super long day, Jesus says, you guys cut across the lake in a boat. I'm going to come around and meet you later. And so it says they took off as evening fell. 
and they're out there and all of a sudden if you, if you get a picture of the Sea of Galilee it's about it's around it's about eight miles across and, and the word the Greek word here is stadia they were several miles out so we're going to guess they're pretty close to the middle and they're rolling their hearts out and they aren't going anywhere they probably dropped their cells because the wind is so heavy that they don't want to tear the cells so they're rowing they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're going nowhere Here's your first sermon note. It's a repeat, but it's important. It's hard to row against the wind. It's really hard to row against the wind. You kayakers know this. You know, we as Christians live in a dark, troubled world all the time. It's broken. It's a broken world. And our, and our Christian faith tells us to live differently. And so we try to row in this world and it's hard. We talk all the time about getting closer in a community and reading the Bible together and growing our love and, and, and helping others and stuff, but there's all these other things that compete for that time, and we try to row through life, and there's family and jobs and everything we're trying to row against. There's all these other things that I want to be to grow my faith, but I, you know, we just don't have time. Or I'm rowing against this issue. I have this sin in my life that keeps setting me back, and I row really hard, but it keeps holding me. There's another way we row, and it's like we have these classmates, we have these coworkers, we have these neighbors who we watch out there frantically rowing and rowing and rowing, and they don't know Jesus, and life is hammering them. And they're crying out, and we know the answer, and I just don't have the time to go talk to them, and I really don't want to be rejected, I really don't want to be called judgmental, so I watch them row, and I sit back. And I absorb this because I hate watching them hurt. We're all rowing in this world. It's hard to live our faith out so much that we can doubt. So much that we tend to just, I'm just going to take the waves, I'm going to pull the oars in, I'm just going to ride it out. And you just sit there and just take hit after hit after hit. The crazy part the crazy part of all this is that help and strength are just a step away. Let's go back to Matthew 14 together, starting in verse 25. It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Your Bible might read, it was at the fourth watch when this happened. The fourth watch in the time frame of back then the fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that's kind of important because these guys left in the evening before the sun went down they've been out there rowing all night and somewhere in this time frame they are exhausted they're getting pounded by the waves they're still coming and then they hour, just hour after hour of wave after wave after wave 
They're soaked, sore, and all of a sudden they see somebody walking towards them and they think it's a ghost. It doesn't say one of them thinks. It says they all think he's a ghost. And here's our second sermon note. There was another in the water. There was another in the water. This is so important to us because I think we forget there's another in the water. Jesus not only is on the water, he's walking on the water. So we see the first miracle. There's several here. We see the first miracle. He's walking on the water towards them. And the minute they scream out, he's a ghost. He says, hey. I mean, he's probably yelling, right? Over the wind and everything. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. I am here. Don't be afraid. Instead, be bold. Why? Because I'm here. It gives him the answer. Now, what's really cool about this text is literally this is what Jesus said. So don't be afraid. Be courageous. For I am is here. That's entirely different. I am is here. God is here. I am is here. Now the story shifts. Our eyes are on Peter. Pick it up in verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. That's New American translation. <laughs> come on, Peter. You know, as Peter says, Lord, Lord, it's you. He recognizes him. Lord, if that's really you. Guys, I don't understand this part. If you want to send me a note, share with me. I am still trying to figure out while this boat is hitting waves. And guys, I'm talking about an eight-mile an eight lake in high winds is going to have swells of maybe three to six feet hitting this boat. Now, it's a bigger boat than this, but it's taking hits, and they are getting wore out. Why does Peter want to get out of the boat and walk to him through the waves? I'm looking at all the possibilities. Does he feel safer there? Is he so excited because it's Jesus? I'm not sure I know. But what I know is he's bold. When Jesus says, be bold, he says, okay, I'm bold. But he asked permission. Lord, if it's okay, tell me, I'll come. And he says, come on, Peter. Come on out of here. Your third sermon note. Jesus calls us to be bold in our faith. Jesus calls to be bold because boldness is actually what shapes and grows our faith. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, get out and walk around the boat. He says, Peter, come to me. We have a vision statement here for our church. We don't believe they just look good on paper. We try to live them out the best we can. Our vision statement is the first two words. What is it? Be bold. Second two, love loud. Last two, engage deeply. That's a short version of a 16-word sentence. Be bold. It's the very first two words of our church. Be bold. To be bold, stepping out of the boat is the first step. 
So let's go back. Let's look at uh, starting in verse 29, second half of 29. So what happened after he said, come on, Peter? So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him and, and pulled him up, and he said, you have so little faith, Jesus says, why did you doubt me? So look at this, Peter actually gets up. And there's these waves, these big waves, and he steps out of the boat. He heads towards Jesus. What's really cool about this is Peter's walking on the water. This is the second miracle in the story. He's walking on water. He's bold. We always know that about Peter. He's just bold. And he starts taking step by step. Waves are going through him. He's walking to Jesus, and we don't know how many steps he takes. But we notice something changes. And Peter starts noticing the circumstances around him. It says he shifts, his eyes shift to the wind and the waves. And the minute he shifts and takes his eyes and puts them on the circumstances, he begins to sink. I don't know if you ever see, I should have put a picture up here. There's a, really, there's a painting I love to see. It's called Peter's Perspective, I think. And it shows, him, uh, it shows him looking up through the water and Jesus standing on it and Jesus' hand coming through the water and grabbing him. It's a beautiful painting. And that's what happens. Do you guys know, hey, you online, what is Peter's name? What does it mean? The rock. That's what his name, Petra, Peter the rock. And he sinks like one. <laughs> the minute he got his eyes on the wrong thing. He sinks like one. Immediately when Peter sinks, Jesus reached down and grabs his hand. So what we do know is he got that close to him. It says immediately he reached down. Immediately Jesus reaches down and grabs his hand to a sinking Peter. And when I, when I was thinking of this story, I flashed back to a, a day in junior high football. Now, not only in junior high was I aerodynamic like I am today, I was really short. And out in western Nebraska, I took a beating with all those ranch kids. And I remember we were playing a football game in chapel, and I got hit by a freight train. I ain't still know this day who hit me. All I know is I'm laid out. I can't breathe. You know, you're guppy breathing. Your diaphragm's locked up. I don't know if I was unconscious for a little while. I'm laying there flat in the turf, really close to the sideline. And when my eyes open, I look up, and there's my coach leaning over, and here comes his hand, and it's reaching down, and I'm thinking I'm saved. And he grabs my face mask and he drags me off the field and he lets, and I look over my dad laughing. <laughs> and I'm still sitting there, I can't even say it. You're still guppy breathing, you have the wind knocked out of you and it's like, 
That is not what Jesus did with Peter. He didn't reach down. He didn't grab his arm and drag him through the water. He, he reached down, he grabbed his hand, he pulled him up standing right next to him. The miracle's still on. Your fourth sermon note. Here's a water walking tip. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus. That's when he sunk. He took his eyes and he looked at the circumstances and that's when Peter went down. Water walking tip, keep your eyes on him. We don't do miracles on our own. But we have miracles that are done through us all the time. Jesus said, hey, Peter, you know, you might go to the old saying, ye of little faith, King James Version. He's not saying, Peter, you don't have any faith. He says, I am going to use this moment to work on your faith. I'm going to make your faith stronger. And I lifted him up, and now Peter's standing with me. Don't take your eyes off me, and Peter, you can't do this without me. He is teaching him a lesson that's going to be so important to Peter's life. The difference now is Peter went from standing, miracle, sinking, back to miracle, standing on the waters. The difference is Peter is now focused on the one. And those words almost haunt me. And I don't think Jesus said them with a bad tone at all. It's like, why did you doubt me? The one who created us, we talked about that week one, the one that we hold our salvation, why would we doubt him that he can't do this? in our lives. Let's go back to the story, verse 32. And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Stopped. And then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So I think what's really cool about this is not only did, did Jesus reach down and grab Peter and pull him up and, and they're standing together, they walked together back into and then got in the boat together. Peter walked on water again, but it was the one he was with. And they got back in the boat together. And I think that's so important because there's 11 other guys sitting in this boat looking at Peter going, you just walked on water. And we tend to be hard on Peter a little bit in his faith. Remember, Peter's the one that got out of the boat. Eleven others didn't. Peter soaked. He had a big smile on his face. <laughs> I'm just sure. And they're all looking at her going, wow. And the minute they got in the boat, Jesus stopped the wind. And everything went calm. It's like an exclamation mark on the moment. Third miracle, Jesus walking, Peter walking, calm the sea. Three miracles, one story. Bang, 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 I am is with them. 
So for those of you who know Matthew a little bit and know this story, and this sounds familiar. If you go back to Matthew 8, we're in Matthew 14. If you go back into Matthew 8, they are on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in a storm. Same story, same picture. The boat is rocking. Jesus is asleep in the stern, and the boat is getting hammered. It's taken on water. It's sinking. They cry out, Lord, don't you care? Save us. And Jesus says the same thing. Hey, you guys have such little faith. He stands up in the boat and he calms the sea. And they responded in Matthew 8. They said, who is this man? Look at the difference from the story in Matthew 8 to the same boat, same water, same issue in Matthew 14. But they don't say, who is this man? They say, you really are the son of God. It doesn't say they just exclaim that. Somehow in that moment, they worship him. They worship him. And that's our fifth sermon note together. I think this is an important lesson for us. Bold faith results in powerful worship. Bold faith results in powerful worship. Man, when this church, when we watch what bold faith does, and like, for example, baptisms, and you watch somebody get in the water here, this place worships 10 times, 100 times stronger because we know what a big miracle that life is. And we worship that. We sit in small groups. I had a small group this week, and we sit there and we watch all these lives intertwined in our small group. It's such a neat group. And we're watching what God's doing in our lives, and we're watching all these really cool stories, these miracles happening in lives, and we just pray differently. We worship differently. That's what community does. And the more we see how he works, the more our worship jacks up because of the I am is with us and the I am is working through us, and we're watching miracles all the time. I love this story for so many reasons. It's an exciting story of what happened on the water, but I want to tell you that it is a colossal failure if all we think was that was really cool that Peter walked on water. It's a colossal failure if all we just seen was a neat trick. That wasn't what Jesus was up to. Jesus showed Peter how to trust him in the toughest times and how he could do big things through him. And we see Peter from this point. If you read from Matthew 14 and all the Gospels on, Peter goes up and down and up and down and he, he's trying to grow through all these things and become a better leader and a stronger person. His faith is growing all the time, but it's taken waves to do it and a lot of hits on his boat of life. And we even see it gets so tough one time that Peter actually rejects Jesus. Talk about a lot of up and down. And we see days after the resurrection where Peter and Jesus sit by a campfire and he restores them again. And he learned so much from that moment. But while it's really cool to walk on water, what we do is we watch how, G how Peter was shaped over and over and over until you see him become one of the greatest leaders of the Christian church and one of the boldest and the one who gets out of the boat all the time. 
before Jesus, after his resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, he says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to give you a gift, and that's the Holy Spirit, so my presence will always be with you and my power. And Jesus says, wait right here in Jerusalem. And Jesus went to heaven. And on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came. And he landed right on Peter. And Peter, in front of thousands in the morning, stood up and he shared in front of thousands. He steps out of the boat in bold faith and he shares the good news of Jesus Christ to thousands. What happened? Acts 2, 41. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000. Walking on water, eh, it's cool. This is what he can do through people. And this is what he can do through us. And you're saying, Brian, there's no way I'm going to ever reach 3,000 and see that miracle of him working through me. When you reach through one life supernaturally and he changes their heart, that is a miracle and don't you ever count it as anything but. He works miracles through us all the time. I think we want laser lights and bright shows and we don't need that for miracles because moving a heart is harder than moving a mountain. And he does it through us even when we reach one. And when there's 300 to 400 in this room on Sunday, we have the ability to see thousands' lives changed. Peter stepped out in boldness over and over and over. It became part of his trade. And because of his boldness, 3,000 people's lives were changed forever. It was more than that. Because then he goes on to lead the church. He goes on to amazing boldness. And Jesus will, ne- uh, sorry, Peter would never take credit for an ounce of it. He said, it's the one whose my eyes are on it's the one who's by my side. Pastor Dylan was sharing with me afterwards, after first service, he said, you know, I thought this was really cool. He said, Peter fell a lot and went underwater more than once, but he always fell forward. <laughs> he always kept getting better. And then Jesus released him to change the world as he releases us to change the world. Your last sermon note. This one's kind of important for us. There's a blank there. And I want us all to take out a pin. Where's mine? There. Where'd I put mine? On that sixth sermon note, I want us to write our name there. Why did you doubt me? Write your name there. The one who created us, the one who, as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, the one who's going to be there at the end of my life, the one I trust everything to, why did I doubt him? What are we doubting him for now? What is the one thing that I'm doubting that he can take care of? It might be that sin thing. It might be that brave thing. It might be that I just can't find time thing, whatever that is. I am is with you, and he's with me. Reflect on this. Where am I doubting him that I won't take a risk and I won't step out of the boat? And then pray. Jesus, tell me to come.
Come on, Brian. Come on, Deb. Come on, Dylan. Step out of the boat. Step out of the boat. When we step out of the boat, we open ourselves to Jesus' power, his presence, and his love, and it courses through us. And we can't do it without him. I will encourage you that you and I can do bigger things than walking on water because of who's in us. I want you to consider something as we wrap up here is this Friday, this Good Friday, um, we're sharing what happened on the cross on Good Friday, and on Sunday we're celebrating what the cross finished. We're always, what I would say is guest-centric on those sermons. We always are looking for people because we know Easter is a time where people are really drawn to the story. But I want to ask you this week, would you step out of the boat? And that neighbor, that coworker, that schoolmate, that friend, who is it in your close space that does not know the one who's standing on the water as they are rowing their butts off against the storm? And I'm going to ask you, to say, Jesus, shout me out of the boat and take that step. Now, I want to be careful here. This is going to sound a little weird. I do not want you to invite them to Good Friday service, and I do not want you to invite them to Easter. I want you to invite yourself into their life and walk with them. Be bold. Love loud. Engage deeply. It's our vision. Now, do we want them here on Good Friday so they can hear that story? Absolutely. But if that doesn't happen, stay with them. Walk with them. Love them. Show them Jesus in you. And one day, I guarantee you, they will come to community because they see him in you. You have that power of a miracle in you. So take a risk and step out of the boat this week. If they're here on Good Friday, they're going to hear an amazing story of what was paid for them. And on Sunday, they're going to hear the joy of I have hope and I can have hope the rest of my life all because you stepped out of the boat and had nothing to do with you. Had everything to do with one in you. Remember this. As we go out of here today, the I am is here. He's right here. Keep our eyes on him. Trust him. Let's step out of the boat together. Would you bow your heads with me? Because this is offering prayer. And I want us all to give him the best offering we've got. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for that I got a boat on the stage. <laughs> Jesus, I want in our offering for you to call in our hearts right now where we doubt. Where we doubt the one who created us and the one who's going to save us and where our salvation is attacked. Why do we doubt you today? And wherever that doubt is, whether it's my sin that I can't get fixed or, or all these other things, these worldly things that are pressuring in, how do I trust you and step out of the boat? How do we as a church, after two years of enduring some pretty big waves, how do we get back to being the church that is full? And we do this. We just need everybody there. How do we be the church that steps out in risk? This is a church that goes to hard places. That is our value, is we're not afraid, and we want everybody out of the boat. 
We want everybody walking with one. We want everybody hearing, come on, come on. And Jesus, I ask that you put on our heart this week that one person that you really want to know you, that you never stop. You never stop through your spirit chasing him, pursuing him, and they're out there rowing their butts off. And your heart goes out to them. And Jesus, we want our heart to go out. I want you to course through us in the spirit, and I want our hearts to go out to him too and step out of the boat and be brave this week and introduce them to a savior and introduce them to hope and introduce them to life eternal and love them well. That has always been the heart of our church. Thank you, Jesus, that you're on the water with us. You never let us down. So take our offering to you, whether it's our tithes and offerings that fuel the mission of this church, whether it's our time, or whether it's the thing that's holding us back and we think that boat is a safe place. Whatever that is, it's our offering today and we're giving you our best. And Holy Spirit, I ask one more thing, that we, that every person in this room that believes they can do this on their own without you really will struggle. But they do it with you and they do it in the power of community and let the community come around them, encourage them, hold them up, push them, love on them. That's what we do together. Father, make your church the biggest force around here to change lives. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.